It's May 2000, and in Singapore Airlines headquarters, a 79-year-old man in a short-sleeved shirt is causing a commotion. The airline's executives gasp as the hunched retiree saunters down the sixth floor corridor to the boardroom. One approaches him, timid as a teenager seeking an autograph from a rock star. Mr. Sutter, it's such an honor to meet you. May I please shake your hand? Oh, oh yeah, uh, sure. The executive grins from ear to ear. He can't believe he's actually shaking hands with Joe Sutter, the man who made the 747. Sutter's an industry legend, a straight-talking old-school engineer. He's here to help Boeing woo Singapore Airlines into buying some new 747s. His strategy? To deliver a smackdown to Airbus's latest project, the A380 Super Jumbo, Airbus's rival to the 747. In the boardroom, Sutter rips into the A380. Now, I've been in the trenches building big aircraft for 35 years, and I think the guys at Airbus have gotten themselves into a real mess. Sutter squints at his scrawled notes. They say they're going to make a two-story jumbo with more than 500 seats. What that tells me is that it'll be heavy, much heavier than the 747s in service right now. And yet they say it'll cost less to operate per passenger. Hmm. Sutter looks up at the Singapore Airlines' top team. Now, I know Airbus will say I'm just some fuzzy-headed old fool, and maybe they're right. But engineering questions don't just go away because I'm the one asking. So if I were you, I'd wait for the details of Boeing's plan for a stretch 747-400 before buying Airbus. The Singapore Airlines team seemed to lap it up. But after Sutter leaves, the mood among the Singapore Airlines executives changes. Well, that was fun. Yes, but I'm still not convinced by the 747-400. Boeing might have the tried-and-tested option, but if we only order new models of old planes, there'd never be any new aircraft. I still think the A380's tech and size gives Airbus the edge. And the Singapore Airlines executives aren't the only ones who feel this way. Because while Airbus is building new jets, Boeing's playing it safe. Boeing used to set the trends, but these days it looks like a company that's lost its nerve. An aircraft maker terrified of investing the billions needed to launch a truly new jet? What kind of company has Boeing become? Meanwhile, Airbus has been busy introducing new jets like the A330, A340, and now the A380. It's time for Boeing to stop clinging to safety, to be bold. Because if it doesn't rediscover its appetite for risk soon, Airbus will rule the skies. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. 
It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S., and Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondering, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Boeing went all out to beat Airbus by offering big discounts and fast deliveries, but the avalanche of orders caused production chaos, leaving Boeing with big losses and driving airlines into the arms of Airbus. Now, Boeing must find a way to stop its arch-rival from cementing its top-gun status. This is Episode 5, Losing Altitude. It's June 2000, and in a Paris hotel, aviation journalists are gathering for an Airbus news conference. Airbus CEO Noël Forger watches them take their seats with a huge smile on his face. And this skinny Frenchman's got plenty to smile about. It's 35 years since Europe's aviation industry first came together in London to start Airbus. Back then, no one in the room imagined it would ever beat Boeing. But last year, the European aircraft manufacturer did that very thing by selling 85 more jets than its U.S. rival. Now, for the first time, Airbus is the market leader. Airbus is also about to become a real company. The French, German, and Spanish manufacturers behind Airbus are merging to form EADS. And after the merger, Airbus will no longer be a consortium. It'll be an EADS subsidiary with its own factories and accounts. It'll also be able to make decisions quicker. No longer will Airbus's direction be set by a band of independent manufacturers and their government backers. But today, Bourget is cheerful because Europe's governments have agreed to bankroll Airbus's A380 with huge low-interest loans. And he can't wait to tell the journalists all about it. He stands proudly next to a large model of the A380, surrounded by journalists and photographers. This will be the largest passenger aircraft ever made, big enough to fit between 500 and 900 seats. One journalist lobs an obvious question at the Airbus boss. Do airlines want a plane this big? The market clearly wants this jet. Eight customers have already expressed interest, including Singapore Airlines. But that's not enough to dispel this journalist's skepticism. Doesn't the growth of low-cost carriers suggest people will increasingly travel direct to their destinations instead of going by these large-hub aircrafts the A380s designed for? Forger brushes the question away. Demand for air travel is growing 5% a year. Airports that handle 30 million passengers a year today will be dealing with 60 million passengers in 10 years' time. They need bigger aircraft. And that, right there, is where both Boeing and Airbus are rolling the dice. While the Europeans are betting big on the supersized A380, Boeing believes the heyday of the hub airport is ending. And if Boeing is right, 
That'll mean airlines need next-generation, mid-sized, long-haul jets, not jumbos. But risk-averse Boeing's not yet sure about backing up that prediction with cold, hard cash. It's April 2003, and in Boeing's new high-rise headquarters in Chicago, CEO Phil Condit is updating the board of directors on the Sonic Cruiser. Boeing's been touting the idea of this futuristic aircraft for nearly two years. If built, this dart-shaped airplane would travel just below the speed of sound, fast enough to shave three hours off trans-Pacific flight times. But while Boeing thinks it's finally got a bold new vision that will conquer the skies... Airlines have more earthly concerns. Condit nudges his spectacles up his nose and runs through the feedback. Airlines prefer fuel efficiency over speed. They don't think passengers will pay a premium to travel faster. They also worry that the Sonic Cruiser will mess up their schedules because their existing routes are built around the speeds of conventional jets. In fact, you want to know what they're really interested in? It's not the Sonic Cruiser. It's the 7E7. Board members exchange surprised looks. The 77's not even a serious proposal. At this point, it's just a bunch of theoretical figures created to show airlines what would happen if the Sonic Cruiser's lightweight composite structure was applied to a standard jet. Now, the 77's upstaging the main event. A grizzled board member with a neck like a turtle leans forward. He's Harry Stonecipher, the former CEO of McDonnell Douglas. He joined the board when Boeing bought his old company in 1997. So what do we do? Dump the Sonic Cruiser and go with the 77? Condit isn't sure. Well, airlines seem keen on the 77, so let's focus on exploring that instead of the Sonic Cruiser. But there's no rush. It's still safer to develop new derivatives of our existing products. Board member James McNerney interrupts. He's no fan of Condit's play-it-safe approach. Phil, we haven't approved production of a new aircraft for 13 years. If we dither too long, we'll lose our chance to leapfrog Airbus. Stonecipher cuts in. Bringing the 77 to market will cost $10 billion. That's way too much. I won't back anything that expensive. Airbus is acting like a 20-something kid out on the town with his parents' credit card. But we have to answer to our lenders. McNerney nods. Sure, but... We can't just sit on our hands forever. The 757 and 767 are in their twilight years. Now, if we vacate the mid-sized aircraft space, Airbus is going to fill it. But right now, I have to say I agree with Phil. Drop the Sonic Cruiser. Let's focus on the 77. The board backs the plan. In the months that follow, the 77 takes shape. Engineers design a super-efficient, mid-sized twin jet made from lightweight composite materials. Finance teams propose outsourcing the manufacturing of wings, doors, fuselage sections, and more to reduce the financial risk. And marketing gives the 77 a glamorous new name, the 787 Dreamliner. But before the top brass can decide what to do next, Boeing hits major turbulence. It's December 2003, and on the 36th floor of Boeing's Chicago headquarters, it's Harry Stonecipher's first day as a CEO, and he's inherited a mess. 
As he sits in his office getting ready for his first board meeting, emails fill his inbox with updates on the scandal that's rocking Boeing to its core. Two months ago, news broke about how the company's finance chief helped Boeing land a $23 billion military contract by offering a Pentagon procurement official a high-paid job. Now, senators are baying for blood. The Justice Department is considering criminal charges, and the Pentagon is threatening to shut Boeing out of military contracts worth billions. Faced with the fury in Washington, Condit resigned. So now, it's Stonecipher's job to put out the fire. As Stonecipher checks his emails, there's a knock at the door. Come in. A 50-something woman with short brown hair enters. She's Bonnie Sudik, Boeing's head of internal governance. Stonecipher looks up from his computer. Be careful, Bonnie. It's raining in here. Skodik smiles awkwardly. Okay, what do you need, Harry? I want a code of conduct that applies to every employee. I want it strict. Zero tolerance for any misdemeanors. We must be whiter than white. Got it? Absolutely. I can have it ready in four months. Bonnie, maybe you don't understand me. You're looking at your calendar. I'm looking at my watch. You've got a month. Order is given. Stonecipher grabs his notes and heads to the board meeting. And he's not wasting time there, either. After explaining his code of conduct plan, he moves on to Airbus. I want to go after Airbus hard. First, we greenlight the 787. Airbus is busy with the A380, so if we do it now, we can grab the mid-sized market before they can respond. Smiles break out around the room. Approving Boeing's first new jet since 1989 will be a welcome respite from the onslaught of bad news. But Stonecipher's not done yet. We must also challenge Airbus subsidies. Let's remind Washington that Airbus is a state-subsidized threat to America's top exporter. Let's remind them why we matter and of the hundreds of thousands of American jobs at stake. Let's get this administration fighting for us, all right? The smiles in the boardroom grow even bigger. Boeing is down. It's lost its number one status in commercial aviation and its military division is engulfed in scandal. But Boeing isn't about to surrender. Instead, it's going to get up off the mat and get back in the fight. And its first punch is going to be a big one. It's October 2004, and in the European Parliament building in Brussels, a transatlantic showdown over aircraft manufacturer subsidies is beckoning. On one side of the table is European Union Trade Commissioner Pascal Lamy, Opposite him is the man who demanded this meeting, America's trade representative, Robert Zellick. And Zellick's spoiling for a fight. Airbus subsidies are unacceptable. Since our 1992 agreement on aircraft manufacturer subsidies, Airbus has received $15 billion in government loans. We believe these loans violate World Trade Organization rules. For Lamy, this is Groundhog Day. Every few years, America rattles its saber over Airbus funding. Then both sides do a diplomatic dance before agreeing to keep disagreeing. Lamy trots out Europe's usual defense. Since 1992, the U.S. federal government's given $18 billion of indirect subsidies to Boeing in the form of military and research contracts, 
Also, all support given to Airbus complies with the terms of our 1992 deal. Lemie reckons he knows what comes next. Zelik will say military contracts aren't subsidies, and the discussion will end in deadlock. But then, Zelik strokes his pencil-thin mustache and lobs a curveball. In 1992, Airbus had 10% of the market. Now it's the market leader. The deal needs to be renegotiated, and subsidies to Airbus must end. If you won't agree to a new deal, we will tear up the 1992 agreement and file a complaint with the WTO. Lemie wonders what's behind the USA's new hard-line stance. Maybe it's next month's presidential election. After all, bashing Airbus might win votes in Washington state. Or maybe Boeing's flexing its muscles, using its status as one of the biggest lobbyists on Capitol Hill to stoke trouble. But Europe can play tough, too. America might be the world's largest economy, but together, the 25 nations in the European Union are bigger. Lemie folds his arms. If you file a complaint with the WTO, we'll also take immediate action against the U.S., a few days later, America carries out its threat. It rips up the 1992 pact and lodges a formal complaint with the WTO. The next day, the EU hits back with a complaint about U.S. government support for Boeing. Europe and America are now on a collision course. And unless they take evasive action, there's going to be a trade war. A trade war that won't just impact Airbus and Boeing but industries far removed from their multi-billion dollar war for the skies. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off. Like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's fall 2004, and in a cavernous Airbus assembly plant in Toulouse, France, an army of mechanics are building the first A380. Among them is a German mechanic in a high-visibility reflective jacket. He whistles as he gets to work inside the 23-foot-wide central fuselage. 
He spent weeks laying the spaghetti-like mass of cables that now cover the walls. And today, he's connecting the electrics of the German-made central fuselage to the French-manufactured nose section. He unfurls a bundle of wires and threads them through the wall. The wires inch toward the cable harness where the two fuselage sections meet. And then, he runs out of wire. What the? The wires are several inches short of the connection. He tugs at the cables, but there's no slack. Then, he hears a shout from the rear end of the A380. It's the colleague wiring together the central and rear fuselages. Hey! Hey, come look at this! My wires are too short. The mechanic gulps. The gap might be tiny, but on an aircraft with more than 300 miles of wires, this is a massive problem. It's spring 2006, and in the Paris headquarters of Airbus parent EADS, co-CEO Noël Forgier is ready to explode. He's just been told that the A380's wires are too short, and the team needs six months to fix the problem. He clenches his fists and glares at the A380's production chief. Six months just to fix some wires? They're just wires! The production chief wrings his hands. It's not that simple. We are building the most complex passenger aircraft ever made. We have overcome some of the toughest engineering challenges in aviation history. And now, now you say some damn wires are going to cause months of delay at a cost of billions of euros? The production chief tries again. It's not a simple fix. We can't just insert extra connections. If we do that, it'll increase the electrical resistance, reducing the power. We need to rip out every cable we've installed, correct the problem, and manufacture replacement equipment. Only then can we put the wires back in. Ugh! How did this happen? Um, the Germans are using an older version of the design software than the French teams. It seems the wire stiffness calculations are different between the two versions. As a result, the designs don't match. Forgier puts his head in his hands in despair. Airbus might be one company now, but the old national silos still remain. A few years back, Airbus's French engineers tried pushing the Germans to upgrade their software, but the Germans resisted, unwilling to be bossed around by the French. So rather than take sides, Airbus's manufacturers let the Germans do it their way. And that's about to become a very expensive decision. In June 2006, Airbus announces a six-month delay to A380 deliveries, a setback that will cost it two billion euros over the next four years. The day after the news breaks, EADS stock plunges 26%. Within weeks, Forgier's out. Airbus sends hundreds of German workers to Toulouse to try and get the $13 billion project back on track, but the delays keep coming. Six months becomes a year. Airlines and cargo carriers cancel orders and demand late delivery payments. But still, the A380 slips further behind schedule. And all the while, Boeing is gaining altitude. It's July 2007, and in Everett, Washington, 15,000 excited aviation fans are waiting for Boeing to unveil the 787 Dreamliner. 
They watch as the massive doors of the 787 assembly plant roll back and reveal a blue, white, and silver jet adorned with the Boeing logo. The crowd claps and cheers at the sight of the jet that's revitalizing America's leading aircraft maker. The Dreamliner isn't flying yet, but it's already an aviation sensation. It's the fastest-selling plane Boeing's ever made. Airlines love its fuel efficiency and high-tech features, and passengers will love the tall windows and improved air quality. Boeing's already got 700 orders and a six-year waiting list. But when the crowd gets to see the 787 up close, there's shock. One aviation enthusiast in a military cap turns to his pal after checking out the fuselage. You see that? Temporary fasteners. Oh, and uh, there's a hole right over there. <laughs> this isn't a finished airplane. It's an empty shell. He's right. This 787 is about as airworthy as a paper plane. It's held together with make-do parts and fake surfaces. And that's because Boeing's suppliers are struggling to keep up. The demands of the Dreamliner's advanced tech and composite materials have pushed Boeing's suppliers to the limit. They're behind on everything from the computer software to the titanium fasteners that hold the plane together. Not that Boeing's fretting, and that's because Airbus's alternative, the A350, is still years away from completion and lagging far behind in orders. But the days when Airbus was too busy making its super jumbo to focus on challenging the 787 are about to end. Good evening, a new era in aviation has begun with the arrival in Sydney minutes ago. It's October 2007, and the A380 is finally in service. It might be two years late, but when the first A380 passenger flight lands in Sydney, it's national news. The A380 Airbus is about to set new benchmarks in aviation standards. It's the cleanest, the greenest, the biggest passenger jet aircraft in the world today. I can also tell you it's the quietest. Unlike the Qantas Jumbo that's trying to take off just beside us and ruin Singapore's moment. Just pan across over there, Richard. But for all the excitement, the A380 is already a financial failure. It's arrived nearly $7 billion over budget. And few airlines want to spend $280 million on a jet that seems out of step with the times. Airbus imagined a future where super jumbos would connect the giant hub airports of mega cities. But low-cost carriers are increasingly flying people direct to final destination airports that charge less than the big hubs. And right now, that shift in the market is playing right into Boeing's hands. On the next episode, Airbus strikes back with a revamped A320. The Dreamliner gets grounded and the 737 MAX shatters Boeing's reputation. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. There's a link on the episode notes. If you tap or swipe over the cover art, you'll also see some offers from our sponsors. We hope you'll support our show by supporting them. Hey, if you like what you've been listening to, it would be great if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. There's another way you can support us, and that's by answering a short survey at Wondery.com survey. And while you're at it, don't forget to tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. 
A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said at the time, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondering. Hey, I'm Mike Corey, the host of Wandery's show, Against the Odds. In our next season, I'm telling an amazing true story about American sailors who wrecked their ship off the coast of Africa in 1815. They're captured by a nomadic tribe. To escape, they will need to cross the largest hot desert in the world to reach civilization. They will battle against blistering heat, inhumane conditions, hunger, and thirst. Their heroic fight to get home will have a much greater impact than just on their own lives. It will influence a future president and change the course of American history in ways that are still felt today. This is the true story of the men who made it, and it's one that you don't want to miss. Subscribe to Against the Odds on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, The Wondery App, or wherever you're listening right now.